Today's scripture is from Galatians uh, chapter 2 and verses 15 and 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, before we jump in and look at that text together this morning, can I invite you to please pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you and we remember with thanks uh, those who have given their lives uh, in service to our country. We enjoy much peace and freedom here in Canada. And we are thankful for those who've come before us and made a great sacrifice. Father, um, we are mindful of our desire for peace. And we also remember that that's impossible for us to achieve or accomplish because we ultimately need peace with you. And that only comes through your Lord, the, our Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray that as we consider him this morning, you would give us the gift of your peace through him. And you would see how wonderfully he has accomplished so much for us, our redemption, his given us his righteousness that we might stand accepted this morning in your sight through faith. Speak to us about this this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in the book of Galatians, and some of you may have noticed there's a book on the the table just out front here. Uh, You can follow along with the sermon series that we're in. And, And so far in this series in Galatians that we've been in. We've, we've looked a lot at how Paul has been um, defending the authority of his apostolic ministry as well as his apostolic message. This is an authority that he didn't receive from anybody else, from any person, from any mortal. He received it by a revelation from the risen Lord Jesus Christ himself. So, His message and his ministry come with a divine authority. And that's what he's been covering so far. And this is important in the book of Galatians because Paul is defending his message against uh, agitators, against false teachers that are trying to persuade the churches in Galatia that Jesus is necessary for salvation but he's not quite enough. We need Jesus for our salvation, but but he just doesn't quite get us there. What we also need, in addition to faith in Jesus, is we need to keep the, uh, the laws of Moses. We need to add the laws of Moses to our faith in Jesus Christ if we're going to be saved. And Paul said in chapter 1 that that... That's a different gospel. That is a distortion and a corruption of the one true gospel. And so that's why he's defending the authority, the divine authority of his ministry and message. That's all that we've seen so far. 
And now this morning in the verses that uh, Stephen just read for us, what Paul does is he brings us into the very heart and center of his gospel message. It's concerning justification by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the heart of Paul's gospel message. Justification through faith or by faith in Jesus Christ. And this is so important to Paul that he's going to take the next two chapters in the book of Galatians to defend this truth and unpack it from various angles. Because over the next few weeks, and I would say months, we're going to do a deep dive into this, this good news of justification by faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer, said about this teaching concerning justification by faith in Jesus. He said, It is the principal article of all Christian teaching, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consists. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know it well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. So this morning, the beating commences. <laughs> what I want to do this morning is look at verses 15 and 16 with you under three headings. Here they are if you're taking notes. First of all, justification defined. Secondly, justification failed. And thirdly, justification accomplished. So let's jump in and begin by defining or trying to explain what we mean by this word justification. This is like one of those $64 theological words, but I, I want to, you know, and I'll be gentle, but I want to beat it into your heads a little bit this morning because this is uh, the truth upon which Martin Luther said the church either stands or falls. So what do we mean by this word justification? The word in the book of Galatians makes its first appearance here in this passage in verse 16. In fact, three times in verse 16, Paul uses the verb to be justified. Look at verse 16 with me. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. There it is three times. Now this word justified or justification, it comes from the legal realm. It comes from the law courts. So it's, it's legal language. And we could think of it this way. Being justified is the exact opposite of being condemned and found guilty. So I hope that's got your attention. It's better to be justified, much better, infinitely better to be justified than to be condemned and found guilty. Here's what justification is. Justification by faith in Christ 
is when God, the righteous and holy and just judge of all the world, when he freely and graciously declares that we are righteous in his sight and pardoned from all our sin. So let me give that to you again quickly. This is when, to be justified, is when God declares about you that all of your sin, all of your sin, past, present, and future, is pardoned forever, and that you are, in His sight, completely righteous. And He declares that. That's His verdict over your life forever. This is good news. And this is all through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, it's important maybe to note, and this is worth, if you're taking notes, make a note of this because this happens a lot in Paul's writing. The words in our English translations that are translated uh, justification or justified, and the words that we translate as righteous or righteousness, these are words that sound very different to us in English, but they come from the exact same uh, root word in Greek. And so listen for that as you read your English translation. Remember that, and you'll be able to pick up on some of the argument a little better. Now, before we go on, it's worth noting this, that um, justification by faith is God's verdict or judicial declaration. And in itself, justification doesn't transform us from the inside out. This is his judicial declaration, his verdict over your life. And so what it does is it it doesn't transform you from the inside out, but it changes your status before God forever. It changes your standing before God. So it's like when a couple gets married, and if you're licensed with the province of British Columbia, a pastor, I've done this many times, you say to the man and the woman, I now pronounce you husband and wife. I've made a declaration about them, and their status now is forever changed. But now they're on the adventure together. Now they're going to spend the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years of their life, Lord willing, to grow into the fullness of what that means, that that declaration that I made about them. You're now husband and wife, Della and Doug. Yeah, and now, and the adventure begins, right, Della? (laughs) Doug, it's an adventure for her. So that's important to remember. As we'll see in the coming weeks, justification, there's a lot more to this whole picture of redemption that Jesus does in our lives. But justification is an important, distinct, and necessary piece. One might even say the very center of the whole sort of redemptive picture of which we're a part of in Christ. Now, that's my definition. Uh, let's, Let's move on to consider Justification failed. 
Because here's why we need to be justified by God. We need to be freely and graciously justified by God through faith in Jesus. Why? Because all, all of our efforts to justify ourselves, to make ourselves right before God, are completely useless. Completely useless. Every one of our efforts to make ourselves acceptable in the sight of God, it's a dead end. It won't work. No one can do it. None of us can do it. See, but... But the problem is, that's a universal human tendency. See, this is a universal problem. All of us, without exception, all of us uh, try to justify ourselves. All of us practice self-justification habitually every day. Let me illustrate this by looking at three different groups. First... We'll go back in ancient time. In in Jesus' day, many of the religious Jewish people at the time considered that they were right before God. God accepted them because they were obedient to the law of Moses. They kept the laws written in the Pentateuch. And so Paul says of them in Romans 2.23, he singles these types of people out, and he says, you who boast in the law. These are people that say, we're, we're doing a good job. We're boasting in the law. He says, you who boast in the law end up dishonoring God. Why? Because you're actually breaking the law. Now, what's he mean by that? Let me look a little further. In Romans 10, Paul addresses these same people again. In Romans 10, verses 1 to 3, he says, he's, he's writing to the Christians now in Rome. He says, brothers... My heart's desire and prayer to God for them, these religious Jewish people at the time, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. They're not saved. They don't know God. He says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And then he explains what he means in verse 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. There's the problem. They do not submit to God's righteousness. So here's what Paul's doing. He's praying for the salvation of his fellow Jews because they have a zeal for God, but they're completely ignorant of the way in which God makes us right in his sight. Instead of submitting to the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, Paul says they're, they're, they're missing it. They're trying to actually establish their own righteousness before God by obeying the law, a law they can't keep. So you see the problem. Now, this is the problem of self-justification. As I said a moment ago, it's a universal problem. And Jesus, Jesus uncovered, uh, or encountered this problem in his own ministry. And in Luke 18, Luke tells us that Jesus told a parable about this problem. In Luke 18, verse 9, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous 
and treated others with contempt. That's what it always does. Verse 10, Jesus tells this parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, here's the problem. The problem with this self-justification project is that it's arrogant. It's, it comes from a place of deep-seated pride. It's, it's arrogance, ultimately, that refuses to see the seriousness of our sin and our radical need for God's grace. It refuses to see that. It can't see that. The thing is, arrogant people, arrogant people who are trying to justify themselves, they never compare themselves to the holy and righteous and just judge of the universe. Rather, they compare themselves to others, don't they? They compare themselves to others who they think are beneath them. And that is why they feel superior and righteous. That's the stereotypical problem that Paul alludes to in verse 15 of the passage we're looking at this morning when he says, we ourselves, he's talking about Peter and Paul. This is a continuation of the the conversation that he's relating from last week or two weeks ago. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. He's saying, this is the way that we typically think of ourselves. We are Jews by birth. We have this special relationship with God. We're not like those Gentile sinners. We're not lost and alienated from God and without hope in this world. We're not like that. And then in verse 16, he adds, Yet, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. See, the thing is, this is important, When it comes to being justified, Jewish people have no advantage whatsoever over Gentile sinners. No advantage. And that's why he repeats again at the end of verse 16, by the works of the law, no one, literally no flesh, will be justified. So we see that any attempt to somehow obey God by keeping his laws is a dead end. It's futile. It leads only to condemnation. Second group of people. Unlike the the ancient Jews, the, the false teachers or the people that we've referred to as Judaizers that were influencing the churches in Galatia, these people, as I said earlier, said that we need Jesus for our salvation, but... But we also need to include, along with our faith in Jesus, 
keeping the law. We need to, to uh, do the works of the law in order to be saved. What they were trying to do was were trying to synthesize or uh, combine faith in Jesus and works of the law, which I would say is just like trying to sneak. Um, it's a clever way of trying to sneak self-justification in the back door. The problem is adding works to the, of the law to faith in Jesus Christ in order to be justified is like, well, it's like Bob Ross thinking that he can improve upon the Mona Lisa by painting a happy little cloud or a happy little tree. You know, it, it's, it's not going to work. It will take a masterpiece and turn it into a monstrosity. It just, you can't combine those two things. In the coming weeks, we'll see that, that by trying to include the works of the law together with faith in Jesus, is like trying to combine something that Jesus has ultimately brought to an end. He's finished it. Now, some of you might be here this morning and thinking, well, you know, I, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a religious person. I came because my friend who goes to church invited me and I figured I've been putting them off for six months and I figured I better come this morning. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're thinking that all that I've been saying doesn't apply to you. Maybe you're saying something like this. Well, I'm not really concerned about the law of God. I don't really care about a relationship with Jesus. I'm just trying to be a good person. I'm trying to be a decent person. And, and that's got to be enough. Maybe that's you this morning. Here's the thing, and this is important. You're still using a standard of righteousness. You are setting a standard of righteousness for yourself. I'm just trying to be good enough. I'm just trying to do my best. I'm trying to be a good person. And that really puts you back in the camp of the person that Jesus was referring to in Luke 18. It's, it's part of this self-justification project where you compare yourself to others in order to feel good enough. Maybe you say to yourself, well, I might not be as good as Mother Teresa, but at least I'm not Hitler. You hear talk like that often. Problem is, there's always a bar. There's always a measurement. There's always a standard. And the difference is, if you reject God's authoritative standard, his law, it's not that you don't have a standard. You just have a standard that you determine for yourself. You are the one who sets the height of the bar. And, and it's conveniently calibrated to your own self-justification project based on the subjective truth of your own moral scale. So how's that working out for you? Francis Schaeffer years ago wrote a book, um, and he asked us to imagine that, that all the babies uh, that come into the world are born with an invisible um, recorder, tape recorder around their neck. Now, if, if you are uh, not... I don't know when tape recorders stopped existing, but believe me, there was this archaic time many centuries ago when there was something called a tape recorder. And he asked us to imagine that all children come into the world with a, 
an invisible tape recorder hanging around their neck. And he says this is a very special recorder because it records only the moral judgments that you make. And so whenever a person makes a statement like she is such a gossip or he is such an idiot or they are so selfish, the recorder turns on, records that statement and then turns off. And many times each day the recorder turns on, records the statement, this moral judgment that somebody's making, and then it turns off. And it does this dozens of times a week, hundreds and hundreds of times a year, and tens of thousands of times over a person's lifetime. And then Schaefer says the scene shifts, and we should imagine... All the people of the world standing before God at the end of time. And someone says to God, God, it's, it's not fair for you to judge me. Because I didn't know about Jesus and no one taught me the Ten Commandments and I never read the Sermon on the Mount. And then God says, very well, since you claim not to know my laws, I will set aside my perfect standard of righteousness, which he will never do. Instead, I will judge you on this. And then God presses the button on the recorder. And the person listens to their own voice with growing horror as they hear accusation after accusation after accusation against others. She shouldn't have done that. He was wrong when he did that. They should never have spoken like that. Thousands upon thousands of moral judgments. And then the tape ends and God says, this will be the basis of my judgment. How well have you kept the moral standards you proved that you understood by constantly applying them to those around you? Have you accused someone of lying, yet you have stretched the truth? Were you angry with someone for being selfish? Yet, have you ever put your own interests ahead of the interests of others? And Schaefer says, everyone will be silent. For no one has consistently lived up to the standards they apply to themselves or to others. Here's the truth, my friends. All of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us are moral hypocrites. Every last one of us not just Donald Trump. All of us. None of us live up to God's righteous standards or even the standards that we use toward others. We all stand condemned. We fail in our efforts at self-justification. And that brings us to our third point, justification accomplished. So if none of us can justify ourselves, if that's a failed project, if there's no hope in it whatsoever... The question is, how can God accept us? How can you and I ever be right in the sight of a holy God, of a just God, of a righteous God? See, the problem is God is not like that kind seventh grade English teacher that you had who graded uh, your your project on on some sort of sliding scale. 
God is a righteous judge, a holy judge, a just judge. So how, how can we be right? How can he accept us? Without God himself compromising his own standards. This, my friends, this morning, this is the biggest, the most important that all of humanity faces. This is this makes the problem of uh, the environment pale in comparison. Let's take a look at what Paul says again in verses 15 and 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because, here's the failed attempt, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, I, I hardly ever do this, and I don't want anybody to doubt the veracity and the dependability and the accuracy of their translation. The ESV is a great translation, but it's a little wooden on these particular verses. So what I want to do is read for you again, verses 15 and 16 again from the uh, New English translation, and, and I think it'll help us see a little bit more clearly what the point that Paul is making here. Here's what it says, verse 15. We're Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. That's the same. Yet, we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by the faithfulness of Christ and not by the works of the law. Stop there. You see the difference. It's a little easier to see Paul's main point here. We are justified not merely by faith in Christ, but we are justified by faith in the faithfulness of Christ. That's the point here in this translation. That's the point, I think, in the Greek. It's not that we have come to believe in Christ, but we have come to put our faith, our trust, our hope. We've come to bet everything everything on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. See, we've all utterly failed. This is the, the failed self-justification project. None of us have been faithful. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have failed to, to satisfy the righteous demands of God's law and to fulfill His just requirements. All of us except for one. Jesus has accomplished it. Jesus has done what every other person who's ever walked the face of this earth in all human history has failed to do. Jesus is the one faithful man who has fully and completely obeyed God in his thoughts in his words, in his deeds, in the things that he did, and in the things that he didn't do. He's the one faithful man. Paul says later in Galatians that Jesus was born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law. 
Here's what he means by that. Jesus was born under the law and then proceeded to fill all the righteous requirements of the law. But he did this in order to redeem those who are under the law, but have utterly failed to fulfill all the righteous requirements of the law. In other words, as I often say, Jesus lived the perfect life that all of us have failed to live. And then he died the death that all of us, except for him, deserve to die. Jesus is our Savior by substituting himself for you. See, through his faithful life, Jesus earned for you what you could never earn for yourself. And therefore, we put our faith in his faithfulness. And that becomes ours through faith. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says this. Please let this hit you this morning. For our sake, for your sake this morning, put your name in this verse. For my sake, Doug. For my sake, Della. For my sake, Jonathan. For our sake, God, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. He was a sinless son of God. Why? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This is good news. The good news of justification through faith in Jesus Christ. I love how the preacher, 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon puts this. This is beautiful. This is justification by faith. He says, We stand before God as if we are Christ because Christ stood before God as if he were us. He stood before God and took on our sin. And so we stand before God in his righteousness. Now, let me draw this to a close by giving you an example of what does this look like? What does it mean to put our faith in Jesus this morning? And I think Paul gives us a great picture of this in Philippians 3. In Philippians 3, Paul is arguing against opponents very much like the ones that he's arguing against in Galatians. And in verses 2 to 6, he writes this. This is Paul at his sort of seeker-friendly, uh, win friends and influence people mode. He says, look out for the dogs. <laughs> look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. You can ask me later what that means. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and here it is, and put no confidence in the flesh. That's where the self-justification project comes from, putting confidence in our flesh. He says, though, now he, he's going to use a rhetorical argument to make his point, though, I'm, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul is saying if anybody on earth ever had 
a reason to trust in their, their gifts, their talents, their accomplishments, their attainments, their birth, their pedigree, their intelligence. I'm the guy. Here's my resume. He just gives us his spiritual resume. Very impressive. And then he met Jesus. And then Paul met Jesus and everything in his life just turned upside down. Look at verses 7 to 9. But whatever gain I had, all of that stuff I just listed, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything, everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In the French, it's merde. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Here it is. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, Paul is using accounting language here. And he says, all the things that were gain, I now count as loss. Whatever I thought was in my assets column is now in my liabilities column. Now, Matt, where are you? Get up here. Matt, there he is. Matt's going to, I've never done this before. Brett challenged me and I thought, okay, let's just stand here for me. We're going we're gonna, to, a little object lesson. Don't drool over my books. Come a little closer. Actually, yeah. Here we are. Okay. We didn't organize this very well. That's okay. So these these books represent all of the accomplishments, the the gifts, the talents, the accomplishments that Paul had. And so he rattles off his resume. He says, circumcised on the eighth day. He says, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. You're going to, don't drop those. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Righteousness under the law, blameless. Impressive. Those are good books. Here's the way this works, however. We cannot put our trust in our spiritual or moral accomplishments or achievements and at the same time put our trust in Jesus Christ. So what I want you to do, this represents Jesus Christ. And I want you, Matt, to reach out and take hold of this with both your hands. You can't do it. And that's the picture. You've got to count all of this as refuse. Put it down. Put it down. Repent of it. Yeah, gently. Now take Jesus and be righteous. Get out of here. We all have to forsake whatever we hold on to so tightly to make us right, to make us successful, to make us good enough, to make us worth it, to make us fulfilled. We've got to forsake it all because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Everything else in comparison to Him is refuse, rubbish, and merd.
Everything else apart from Him is a liability if you're trusting in it. Here's the thing. None of those things that Paul listed were bad. They're only bad if you put your confidence in it. Many of us, we think of sin as just terrible things we've done. It's, it's, it's not. Many of us, are, our greatest sin are the good things that we're trusting in. So we've got to repent of putting our faith and our hope and our confidence in church attendance, Bible reading, Bible memorization, uh, evangelism, um, church attendance. These are all great things. Just don't trust in them to make you right in the sight of God. Jesus Christ has faithfully done that for you. Look to Him. Hope to Him. Lay your hands on Him by faith. And you will be forever completely, totally righteous in the sight of God your Father. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you make us a humble people to forsake all the the, the silly things we put our trust in and hope in that somehow it's going to merit a right standing with you just to, to count it all as loss and refuse and rubbish and grant us to turn to Jesus and to lay our hands, our empty hands, our open hands of faith upon him and cling to him and know that in him, because of his great faithfulness, We are righteous. We are justified forever and completely in your sight. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.